Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Hi, and welcome to podcast number nine for our Greenshaw Learning Trust Book Club. Where we will be looking at the book, The Curriculum Gallimorphy to Coherence with Mary Meyer. Let's get stuck in. So good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another session of the Greenshaw Learning Trust Book Club. And today we are very, very excited to be joined by Mary Myatt. And we're going to be looking at her book, The Curriculum, um, Gallimorphy to Coherence. But Dave's going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. <clears throat> I'm just going to try and introduce Mary actually and the reason I say try and introduce her and I, I don't mean that in any other way except for the sheer breadth of work that she has done and it's it's just knowing where to start so as as often I do I I actually refer to some of the comments in the book um, that we're talking about and these are some of the things that she's done Mary talks at conferences about leadership curriculum student voice and school improvement her main thread is to identify those things which colleagues are doing well and encourage them to focus only on those activities which make a difference to learning. And the reason I've pulled, uh, I've decided to focus on that section is because it was when Dave and I met with Mary originally in December, I think it was, to plan this session. Um, she was very supportive and she helped us to feel more confident about the work we were doing, but also to help us focus on what we could do to make it better. And Mary was the person who gave us um, that nudge to share our recordings and to put them on the website. So it's, it's with so much gratitude to her for helping us to be 10% braver. And on that note, I'll hand over to you, Dave. Thanks, Ray, and thanks so much, Mary, for joining us as well. We are we are just so honoured. Um, and and uh, the book itself was one that, that I felt we we really just needed to um, to, to dive deeper into because for me, um, when I think about the curriculum, um, I think in quite an isolated way. Um, and and certainly in my early years, um, very much so, the curriculum was about what am I going to teach, and and, and that's pretty much it. I didn't consider the question in that the depth that I needed to consider. I didn't think of um, some of the, the sort of extra, um, the extra aspect, the bolt-ons that I saw um, in my NQT year, which, which clearly are not bolt-ons, they are the integral part of what makes a quality curriculum. And, and it was just that journey that I've been on that made me think that this is something um, that needs sharing with others, but so there's so much more for me to learn uh, selfishly, I think, as well. Um, and what, what summed it up for me in this um, extract, and I want to go a little bit left field with what I say here, um, rather than picking at some of the, the, sort of the threads that are within there, because we'll just talk a lot about that um, in the next hour, but it was about the words that were in there, and, and to see in, a, in a, um, an extract about curriculum, the words of literacy, the word entitlement, the word beauty, reasoning, um, working memory, all of these things coming together to make something that's rich, for our students and the social justice of them being able to access um, what they deserve to access, um, just made me really feel that we need to understand this much better. 
um, so that when we go into the classroom and we deliver those lessons, that we have absolute clarity and absolute confidence that we're giving them the best possible deal. Um, so that's what sort of made me think about um, this book. And then we went to the particular extract of mastery because in mathematics, as a, a math teacher myself, I think David Didow may describe it as a lethal mutation, but it's um, there, there's so many different um, interpretations of what it means to, to be a master in mathematics. And, and I felt that the extract just really articulated so well um, what it means to be a master of something and that incremental um, sort of progress that you make um, and, and sort of internalizing that, that information through reasoning, I just felt that, that it, it really helped me to understand um, around all the different definitions of mastery in mathematics, what mastery really means. And so I felt that extract was a, a really good one to use. But Mary, I'll hand over to you to, to talk a little bit more because I think that's uh, plenty for me. <laughs> well, thank you both for uh, your warm introductions, very generous. Um, I would just have to say by way of feeding back to you that um, I think the work that you both do, but also more widely the Greenshaw Trust um, and the work that um, the We Are In Beta team are picking up on all the uh, expertise and sharing that I just think is, is fantastic. And is also in the best traditions of professional cooperation and dialogue, you know, not dumbing down, um, but really sharing great practice and being prepared to thrash that out. I just think it's it's a brilliant model and um, well done for you and your colleagues for, for doing so much uh, for that. Um, yes, and uh, just also to, um, to your point, Dave, um, about the mastery and, and particularly math. So uh, for my money, Mark McCourt is, um, is the seminal um, source for mastery. Um, he traces the history of it um, from in the States um, in, the, in the 19th century. Um, and he talks about mastery as, as not a place where you arrive, I'm paraphrasing what he says now, but as a, um, as a developing and growing expertise. Um, and the paradox of mastery, I think I wrote about this, is that the more you know, the more you realise how little you know, that sort of platonic, Socratic, notion that actually deeper wisdom realizes just how much more there is out there than one's own particular learning. That's an exciting place to be, but it can also be a bit disconcerting as well. Um, in my own rough and ready terms, I refer to mastery um, in, in very simple terms. So if, and I talk about it particularly in relation to uh, some principles of implementing our curriculum uh, and thinking about the materials we offer our children. One of the questions I ask is, does it, uh, do the materials privilege thinking over task completion? So that's one element. But then I talk about, are we offering our children materials that are likely to take them to a place of mastery over time? So it's not something that happens in every lesson. That would be wrong because it is a journey. And what I, so my definition is that a child can do something on their own terms in a new context as a result of what I've taught them. And for me, that's the shorthand for that and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen in one lesson um so um i'm just going to say a bit about why i why i wrote the book um and and you've you've pulled up some really great quotes there dave and um you know about um you know the ambition that we have uh, for all our pupils uh and i have to say you know i come from a place of humility and a place of knowing how little I know, which is why I wrote the book, because I was doing a piece of work 
um, in 2017. Um, and I was speaking at a, a conference and Tim Oates, who led on the review of the national curriculum, which was published in 2013, he was also speaking. So before, before the session, I said, Tim, is there a book that draws together all the threads around the national curriculum and summarizes some of the um, evidence that's come from psychology and cognitive science that might be useful in, in terms of deepening children's uh, understanding. And he, he said he hadn't come across one. So at the end of my session, <laughs> 400 people, I said, does anyone know of a book that, that, that does this? But I needed one I, for my own thinking, to clarify my own thinking. And anyway, it was evident that there wasn't. So um, I then realized that I needed to, to write it. And I essentially wrote it for myself. So it's lovely that one or two people have found it helpful. Um, but my view is, is that thinking about the curriculum, working about the curriculum is always a work in progress. It's never finished. And, um, you know, I'm having lots of conversations with, with people in schools. And they say, we're not as far ahead as we'd like to be on the curriculum. I say, no, of course you're not. <laughs> You've been coping with a lockdown. Nobody's gonna die if you're not as far ahead as you would have liked to have been. It'll still be there. But the, the meetings and, you know, so much of what is being done at a strategic level within, within our settings relates to ongoing, children adults of their communities in and out of of lock, of not of lockdown and self self-isolation and that really has to take priority for the medium term until we're back to pretty much some sort of normality because that relates to safeguarding if there's one non-negotiable in our work it's safeguarding and just to kind of relax into the rest because what what worries me is that people are putting themselves under undue pressure but also there's a kind of um underlying assumption that the, the curriculum is at some point done and I've been working on the curriculum since I was an NQT that is coming up to 30 years and it's never done it's never done so I was very lucky as a, as a newly qualified teacher my first year and for several years afterwards when I was working in Suffolk um, the county advisor for religious education because that's my subject um, uh, brought out a handful of us from schools to work on curriculum materials. Though I was very lucky to do that because I understood through that process that it's a matter of debate, uh, real debate about what should be included and how that should be realized through the plans that we were pulling together. So something got really heated, which was good. Um, but also looking back, while some of that work was pretty good, some of it was also pretty naff. But we were doing the best we could. I mean, Jeff Hundleby, who, who, who was the, the local authority advisor, then, he was a genius. But even he didn't get everything right. So I think we've got to give ourselves permission because to, to, to take some risks, not to get everything pitch perfect, because perfection doesn't exist, but also to forgive ourselves when we look back at some of the things we did, either pedagogically or in terms of the content we offered, and think, oh, blimey, that wasn't good enough. Well, we were doing the best that we could with the materials and the resources that we had and the knowledge that we had at the time. So we could all look back and say, but clenchingly embarrassing having done that, but you know, nobody died. So my view is it's always a work in process and I, a progress. And I'm beginning to talk about the curriculum as a story, a never ending story that we breathe into this work. And so that's why we mustn't rush it. You know, we've got to pace ourselves um, and then sitting behind that are all sorts of systems and structures that um, 
need to create the space uh, in order to allow people time to do this. And so I, I write and talk quite a lot about that. You know, we've got a lot of redundant activities in school that could easily be chopped because they don't make any difference to children's learning. And top of the list, my hit list, of course, is marking, but that's for another time. Um, but, but, but we can't do good deep work if we are mucking about on stuff that's not making a difference to children's learning, you know, completely potty. We've got to start being really strict on that. Um, but I'm just going to say a bit about why I chose the subtitle. So I knew I needed to write a book on the curriculum. So it was called The Curriculum. And I knew there was something about my own thinking had been muddled. I know that there had been in conversations with people, there was some confusion. We were all just kind of confused. It's not a I'm not making a judgment. And so I wanted to try and something that would be make become more coherent for me and also lay out some items and ideas and chapters that might support others to think more coherently and strategically about the curriculum. Um, anyway, so I knew it was the idea was to move from incoherence to coherence as the subtitle. I just thought, oh, that's a bit weak. You know, it's a bit statement of the obvious, isn't it? Anyway, I was talking to a very dear friend and colleague uh, called Sharon Artley, and she's helped me a lot uh, with, she's an RE colleague, uh, she's retired now, but um, she's helped me a lot with my online work, uh, websites and things. And also the, the, front, the, the front covers, she's, got, she's, she's really hot on design like me. Uh, I'm very fussy about design. I'm not saying I'm right. Uh, so she helped me find that one. She also found one for Hopeful School. So we're 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 close colleagues and professionals. And um, so I was saying, oh Sharon, I really could do with another word for incoherence. It's just a bit weak. And she said, oh my husband yesterday was doing the Telegraph crossword, and uh, one of the words was gallimaufry. I said, oh Sharon, I think that might be it. I went to look it up. Yes, colleagues, I had to look it up. So it always makes me laugh when people say, we had to look it up. Yes, yeah, so did the author. <laughs> um, and of course, when I looked it up, I realized that was exactly what I was reaching for. That notion of things being entangled together, uh, slightly muddled, um, and also quite quirky that, uh, you know, I, I always want a slightly quirky title. Some of them, some of them aren't worth printing. I, I, won't, I won't tell you. Uh, as it's being recorded, but what my working title was for Back on Track was <laughs> ended with AP. Um, so, um, yes, yeah, so I'm always trying to get that, that kind of summarizes in a bit of a hook uh, to get in. So that's how we came to, to Gallimaufry. Um, So what I tried to do was to think through, well, what do I need? I mean, it sounds like a selfish thing to say I'm only writing for myself. But actually, when you are writing, it is so lonely, colleagues. It's like you're writing this stuff and you're thinking, this is so trite, this is so boring, but at least it's helping me. So then when it goes to press and one or two people find it helpful, it is, it, it really makes a difference. And I think all writers will say this, you know, cause it is, it's just you and a, and a laptop. Um, so what I was trying to do was to trace the landscape, I guess. And that meant going back to uh, where the national curriculum came from um, you know, that the original le uh, legislation uh, in the 1970s and, um, uh, and just teasing that through the iterations and um, how it had got quite overblown uh, with the previous national curriculum. There's masses of stuff in there. The, um, 
the strategies also fed into the overblownness as well. There was some good stuff in the strategies, but a lot of it was pretty um, And then the, the distinguishing feature of the latest national curriculum was that the content was stripped right back with the exception of history. Like, so, and that was because Michael Gove got his mitts on it. But if you look at the others, uh, particularly the subjects beyond English, maths and science in primary where they're laid out for each year, the content that needs to be taught, um, the other, and science, but the other foundation subjects, they're not, they're, they're across a key stage. That gives us great opportunities. And in fact, some of them are so light, you can, you can read them in about 30 seconds. I'm looking at you, Art, you know, which is both, does give enormous freedom, but actually I don't think gives enough guidance really. Um, so it's, it's very patchy. However, having said that, I do think that it is better than what there was before. I think it's much more manageable. And also, you know, it's the starting points for what is important that children know about by the end of a key stage. Um, but one of the things I'm saying, particularly in relation to lockdown, um, when, when we have lost some time, that you can't, you can't get away from that, that um, nobody's going to die if there's one bit that we haven't taught by the end of key stage two, for instance, or key stage three. You know, it's about identifying the stuff that is most important and, and concentrating on that. So one of the things I'm urging people to do is to focus on the concepts and how those run as a thread all the way through. Um, so in history, it'll be things like democracy, civilization, etc. Um, and in each subject, it's got these nice big concepts um, that can be used to um, pin some coherence to the curriculum as children experience it as they go through, uh, as they go through um, from key stage one to potentially key stage five. Although the, the national curriculum only goes to the end of key stage three, um, I think it's quite helpful to think of the subjects and what's offered as what that might look like if a child from I'm actually going to say early years, and I'll say why in a moment, but through the national curriculum, through key stage four and, and assume they might want to take this at key stage five, what would be, the, what would be the, the overall landscape of that journey as they go through it? Because that starts putting in real rigor, uh, not difficulty for its own sake, but creates this sort of coherence. Um, now, uh, the foundation stage, um, I think, although it's not the national curriculum, I think we do need to be mindful, if we're doing this work seriously, of what is happening in foundation stage that actually has got threads, even though it's not called um, necessarily history or RE or geography, they will be learning about stuff that will be picked up on later. I just think it's quite a good idea to have be mindful of that, not doing an in-depth study, um, but what got me thinking about this was that um, I've been doing some work with a couple of schools, primary schools, part of my own research, uh, and I've been working with them um, for a little while, and, and they wanted to, uh, we agreed that I'd, I'd, I'd make some suggestions for their primary curriculum uh, in one of the foundation subjects, and they said, could I do something on geography? Now, where my current thinking is, is that where we're work working up new units, because we don't need to chuck everything out. 
<laughs> lots of it is fine. But when we're working on new units, that we underpin them wherever possible, which I think is virtually all the time with a high quality text or a narrative or a story. Because all the evidence points to the fact that we know more and remember more if you've heard it in a story, our brain's privileged story, but it also leaches out into a, um, it leaches out into literacy, inference, uh, just increases, increases capacity. Um, so I, so we picked on geography and I was, I was trying to pull a geo, um, one of the, one of the threads that a geomorphological thread of, you know, how the earth is formed uh, over time, over millennia. So the text, so I said to, I said to, I said to the group, I said, oh, well, I'll pull out a book that could be uh, used for key stage one and also another one for key stage two, because one of the things I am recommending, I'm happy for people to come back to this, but when we're working up a new unit, whether it's um, particularly in primary, that, and if it's not English, maths or science, that we give it to the whole key stage when it's a new unit. And the reason for that is, so key stage two, uh, you're gonna have four colleagues, uh, four lots of outcomes from children and four lots of, of, of chat afterwards about what worked and what didn't. And the reason I'm arguing that, because I really think it's better to do fewer things in greater depth. So children in year three, four, five and six would all be taught from based on the same text and then once that had been taught that would then be wrapped up ready for the incoming year threes okay that would then give you time to do others over time as well now some people are coming back and saying yeah but shouldn't they be doing a more demanding text as they got high into key stage two no, because a, a high quality text can work across ages. Got to get, got to move away from leveled readers. That's another story. Um, so, or, or, or only choosing texts that are children's current reading ages. Okay, I've got plenty to say on that, but I, I'll pick that up later if people want me to. So anyway, so there we are. So I was saying, uh, okay, so key stage one, we could have uh, the street beneath my feet. And key stage two, I'm going to suggest the pebble in my pocket. I mean, I had done quite a lot of research on this. <laughs> I didn't just pluck it out of the air. because so I have a number of criteria when I'm choosing a text. For and I said, and, and we'll park early years, I said on this, on this call, but the two heads and, and masses of their staff. And one of the heads said, oh no, Mary, no, early years is just as important. I said, yes, I know it is. And she said, so this ought to be included. And she was quite right. So that, so what I selected from that was actually a lovely poem um, from Shirley Hughes's book, Out and About, and about pebbles and puddles and that sort of thing, because children are experiencing geography actually quite a lot in, in, in foundation stage. And um, so that ex personal experience actually is going to feed into their knowledge at key stage one, when we do the street beneath my feet, picking up that thread of uh, earth, rocks, and what that looks like over time, just absolutely brilliant. And then uh, the, the pebble in my pocket at, at key stage two, beautiful text. And so that's a very long-winded way of saying that I think we need to be having a view over time. This isn't something we do, you know, half an hour after school when we're shattered, but thinking over time, what, what have we decided to teach and how might it, how might it link to what happens what happens later. So I'm going to pause there and um, 
and just uh, say to anyone if you'd like to come back to me on any of anything of that fluent drivel. <laughs> I'm actually going to jump in first, if that's okay. Wayne, you've put something in the chat. I'll come back to that in a minute. And there are two things actually that I'm going to come in on. And um, I was part of a, a conversation um, that was hosted by Peter Mattock and had um, Lucy Wycroft Smith in as well the other the other night and we were talking about statistics and how mean is the mean and then saying well actually we need people in in the community to be more confident with understanding statistics now than ever before bearing in mind that the current situation and climate we're in so we were thinking what's a common thread we can do to help support students in that build through key stage three four and five so one of the things I'm interested in in looking at now is actually considering so with with key stage five in maths we have a large data set in statistics so why aren't we using that as the basis for work on statistics further on down through key stage four and even key stage three so it's exposing them to it and letting them gently grow to see a bigger picture at the same time so the, the calculations they're doing will be on some of these numbers we'll be doing all sorts of things around that common thread so when we open up the picture to them, it helps it to make more sense. So I do, I do absolutely agree about that working up through the thread into key stage five as well. And rather excitedly, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing at home. My husband is going to be a, a head teacher of primary school in September, but a primary school that has early years attached and its own nursery has just, um, joined up with a secondary school that has also opened its own sixth form because they want to do from right through from nursery to the end of key stage five as their continuity. So I'm going to be able to see and hear all the discussions and the developments that's involved because to me, how else can we really make the most of the opportunities we've got with students? Um, that sounds that sounds absolutely amazing. And I think I would encourage people to um, go with that, those open conversations to accept there's going to be some disagreements. That is fertile ground. It's the process that is important. That means you will land somewhere that is going to be offer some kind of coherence for the child as they go through. Um, interestingly, I was listening to um, a, a podcast when I was up for a run this morning um, by Greg Ashman um, talking to Dylan William which he did last summer. I had listened to it before and I thought, oh, I, I, I'd like to listen to that again. Anything Dylan Williams, I have to, I have to watch or listen to at least twice because he makes so many references and he's so dry. I mean, he's marvellous. Um, but he, it, th there was a, a, a discussion at one point about, um, uh, you know, some of the arguments that the curriculum is overblown. And uh, Dylan, in talking around that um, or, or talking to that point, I will just say, actually, uh, before I go into that point, that um, there's there's quite there's quite a lot of evidence that the schools that do really well in maths, the jurisdictions that do really well in maths in Singapore and Taiwan and and Indonesia, their maths curriculum is is about I don't know a third of what ours is in England, and so they they have really created the conditions for mastery. They've just not going to do everything. So what they do is very, very focused and children have really got this stuff in their DNA. And then of course, that's why they do well in the, in the, in the Tims, et cetera. But um, 
but Dylan was saying, um, you know, there will always be discussions and debates about what should be included. And that's both ideological, it can be political with a small p, and it can be, um, you know, sociological from a matter of equity and social justice, lots, lots of lenses through which we could look about what is included. Um, I think those are fruitful discussions. Equally, they can tie us in knots like forever. And so to be quite pragmatic, about, you know, open it up, but then we have to make a decision at some point. And Dylan had a very good um, observation. He said, basically, one way to look at this is to say, does it, would it matter for the adult, for this child when they become an adult, if they didn't know this? So when you gave the example of the mean, Rhiannon, that is a very, very useful thing to have understood over time in school. Um, <laughs> the example of, you know, in science, you know, if they don't know the phases of the moon, also where can that go? He says, they're not gonna die and they're not going to be compromised in their adult lives. And of course, you know, et cetera, um, which I thought was, was quite funny. Ditto the Roman numerals, you know, what's that about? I mean, I, I've got a background in classics but even I don't think the Roman numerals add value. I don't know what that's about. Um, so it's about making those, those judgments in discussion with, with other people. Very exciting to hear what, what your husband and colleagues are up to, Rihanna. And it'll be so fruitful, so interesting. And that's what we want. We want our professional lives to be stimulating and interesting. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, and I've just written down to listen to that podcast again, too, and, and a few other things from that. Um, I'm going to bring Wayne. Um, would you would you be OK unmuting to share your question? I think it's a cracking one from from the chat. Oh, I'm upside down. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, because like sort of from what I've read and, and listened to you talk about like how we want everything to be interconnected and like I know Massimut Mark McCall's like maths universe, like it's it's absolutely there's something like eight thousand nodes or something. It's absolutely insane. It's bonkers, and like what I'm sort of what I know is like as a head of department, I really like structure and I feel safe with that structure. But how can I support people and pupils, especially to experience high quality curriculum, when knowledge and bodies uh, and learning itself are really messy? So how can how can I support them, to like in that? when something it, when it is inherently messy when i feel safe for structure because i know that's the way that we have consistency sort of across the department well i don't think the two are mutually exclusive and so you know if it's just a free fall for everyone you know that is a lot of work for the teachers but also you know seniorly leaders in what uh, you know whatever role in a school whether need to be able to make sure that children's entitlement is broadly similar. Doesn't mean to say we all parrot the same words, but we need to know that they've got reasonably consistent quality across, across subjects and across departments. One of the most efficient ways of doing that is through having a properly constructed scheme, right? So that you know, as head of department, that that's likely to be what your colleagues are teaching, <coughs> or you, you will know that. But within that, there needs to be some flexibility because the notion of doing anything at a deep level means that we've got to give time to address misconceptions, time for space practice, space repetition. But I, I see all that sitting within a cycle or a structure. 
um, that can keep it really tight. So again, actually worth listening to Greg Ashman's podcast. So it's from July, 2020, um, it, because he talks about, uh, they, the, it, he's a science teacher, head of science, uh, doing a PhD, et cetera, in Australia, near Bel Melbourne, he's based. Um, but he was talking about, they're all teaching the same stuff, good. That is one level of quality assurance. But then they also have agreed what they call the question of the week. Again, it's all, it's all the same for each year. And it's based on something that was taught three weeks ago. He said, I don't know why we chose three weeks. I, he said, I can't remember what the rationale for that, but it's obviously something, he said, there must've been a reason it seems to work. Good point, if it's working. <laughs> um, but that notion of spaced repetition, uh, deepening, children, deepening pupils and students learning, but they don't know, they don't know what it's gonna be. Right, so it means they've got to keep a lot of stuff fresh. And I just thought that's really neat, really efficient, you know, and that, that, that then gives them clues in that formative assessment sense of we've got this information, how are we going to adjust to address those misconceptions or move on more quickly before, um, uh, because they've grasped it. So um, just to, to wrap up the, the response, um, response to that, um, Wayne, I think, learning isn't neat and tidy but I think the structures and systems around it can be um, as, as long as we're intelligent about them and we're, there's, there's sufficient teacher agency and pupil agency in there uh, which is different from autonomy. It's not that we all go off and do our own thing but actually given this structure how am I bringing my personality to the party uh, live in the classroom? Is that helpful Wayne? Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful because like and it just got me thinking about the fact that, you know, it is messy and there's all, all these different connections and stuff that we can bring in. But then at the same time, like having consistent structures for our teachers is actually what helps them anyway, because then they've got a framework to deviate from. Whereas if it was just ever, all free, then it would just be chaos, I think. And yeah, and that's yeah. not helpful for anyone. Mm -hmm. That's that good analysis. Agree with you. <laughs> so, um, would anybody else like to unmute and ask a question? I can draw more things in from the chat, and I can, I've got plenty of questions written down myself. I know Dave has too, but I don't want to hog all, all the time with Mary. But anybody else, Dominic, please go for it. Um, I was just thinking in terms of, um, you know, things that are a waste of time that, that take up, you know, things like marking. So, you know, each school is creating their own um, way that they are structuring the curriculum, how they're presenting it to students. And everyone's, it seems like they're, everyone's, you know, uh, reinventing the wheel. And how much do you feel that we should try and, you know, come together and, and help each other create cohesive, you know, ways through the curriculum and, and how much do you think you think it should be individual schools because they have their own circumstances and so you know yeah. um I, my view is is that the more we collaborate and work together the better the the better the products are going to be so the products will be the plans which we can then implement i don't believe in doing curriculum planning solo so there's a place for solo work, and that is reading interesting books, uh, identifying concepts and ideas. But I think when it comes to the planning, it's all sorts of evidence that it is stronger when we plan together 
And, you know, I think even in small schools, now we've all got used to Zoom, you know, this can happen virtually with, a, with another school. Matt's are ready-made for this work. And I know that, you know, what Rhiannon and Dave have done really to facilitate this. I would say that school should not be chucking out the baby with the bathwater. I mean, what slightly annoys me um, is there've been some, there's been some narrative, not that <coughs> the curriculum and curriculum design is a new thing. So schools haven't been doing anything on it forever, which is just potty. But we do know that sometimes priorities have become distorted, you know, with a focus on exams, you know, from year seven, AQA language paper two in year seven. What's that about? Completely bonkers. Um, doesn't result in better results, by the way. <laughs> um, what they need is a really rich diet from which all those skills will emerge. But um, so the, um, the, the, the within the, within the within the national curriculum, there is the possibility, and it's also there in the framework as well, to add that local element where appropriate. So great opportunities in history, great opportunities in geography opportunity in every subject you know is there a local writer local painter whatever that we drop that in and that starts making it bespoke um again dylan dylan oh god he's 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 gold dust that chap he 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 also mentioned i wasn't even running for that long i've got so much information out of it was that he said um one thing he would think of doing if he if he was advising a, a some jurisdiction in this respect he'd say set out the core content for each subject, each, each key stage, but that would be 50% of what needs to be taught. And then free for schools to make the rest make sense. And I thought, oh, that could be a neat, that could be really neat. Uh, but what really worries me is this idea, Dominic, that schools feel they've got to start from scratch. And they haven't, they absolutely have not, because there's already some great stuff going on. Some of it just needs to be sharpened up a bit. And I would recommend, you know, it's only the, working through the units to see if they are as ambitious, as challenging uh, as possible. But, but bit by bit, we don't do it all at once. And, and working up something from scratch only when we, we've all had a unit, haven't we? At least one in my case, where it's like, oh, I didn't enjoy teaching that. Why didn't I enjoy teaching that? It, there was something wrong with it. The kids were very good. They went along with me, but we were all a bit bored by the end. That's the kind of unit I'm going to start on. And I'm going to leave the ones that are pretty good. I'm certainly going to leave the ones where, you know, we've got some really deep, rich stuff going. So we do this in a very pragmatic way because no one's get, we're doing this, by the way, to, to do this for our pupils and students in our settings because there is overwhelming evidence that a high quality, well thought through curriculum makes the greatest difference to the greatest number of children. That's why we're doing it, not because it's in the latest iteration of the framework. But having said that, the quality of education judgment does have some um, useful, useful indicators for how they will be making, um, coming to a conclusion about the, the strengths of, of a curriculum in school. But it certainly won't be a tick box, right? It will not be a tick box. If it is, it's cause for complaint. They can't come in and say, why haven't you taught this? They just need schools to be able to say, right, in history, this is what we have decided. Uh, the history curriculum of this school, these are the headings of it. This is the reasons why. So we need to be able to answer those, those questions. Um, and I've done quite a lot of work around that. Uh, there's quite a lot of my online platform, uh, which is free to access, Myerton Co., just to 
yes, to kind of reassure people, but actually to ground the conversations in ambition, big picture concepts, etc. Um, does that seem a reasonable response, Dominic? Yeah, yes. Um, I, I, it often feels like we're we're reinventing the, the curriculum, rewriting the curriculum too too often, and 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 rethinking our, ourselves and and not letting things embed and and just making too too much work for ourselves. Um, but yeah, it, we're now sharing it across the map, which which is helpful. But um, yeah, you know, it'd be nice to to have slow change and and tinker at things, you know at regular stages so you know right you know we're going to let this in bed for a certain amount of time then we're going to you know see what, what what's worked and what hasn't rather than right we need to you know realign and, and re restructure everything and and so you know everything you created from last year is you know we're gonna to have to rewrite that and so all those i don't know that needs to yeah. be challenged and that really yeah. does need to be challenged um and also to look at the schools who i think are doing uh, really thoughtful work so um, i i think that the production of booklets can be really good um that there are some limiting aspects to it as well but the work that john hutchinson and his team are doing at the reach academy uh the work that aj smith is doing in uh, a london primary school and and just look at what those other settings are doing and there's no copyright on good ideas we can say oh that looks good have a chat with them yeah we'll do something similar or we or we buy them from them because they're they're not that expensive uh but we've got to be clear that it's quality as far as our pupils and students are concerned um, Rhiannon, I, I, but this idea that it's got to all go, it's like, it, no, we've got to push back on that if, if there's any narrative on that. Um, so I, I just want to pick up on this um, question, which was great. Um, it was Harry um, on the point about stories in math. Sounds like a great way of engaging people. How do you best make use of stories through history, famous mathematicians or real life? life applications or something else. So Dave, you might have something to talk to this, but I, I would just like to pick that up quickly, because um, where the current evidence stands leads me to say that we need to be including high quality texts wherever possible. There are a handful of subjects where, where I don't think it would work in every lesson, but I think there are opportunities for, for homework. So one of those subjects would be maths. So people sometimes say, well, there aren't any high quality stories in maths. It is laden with stories. Alex's Bello, Alex Bellos's, um, uh, Alex's Adventures in Numberland, for instance, the NCTM site, just fantastic. But I put it to you colleagues that how many of our children know who invented zero? I'm talking to too many pupils in secondary are telling me they don't enjoy maths. What a crying shame. This is before lockdown. I, it might have changed in lockdown. They now all love it. When I talk to them, I say, well, maths is beautiful. What's the matter with you? They, I said, what are you struggling with really? And they, in particular, they say algebra. I say, right, why are you learning algebra? And they either don't know, or they say it's for the exam or the test. So I say, have you asked your teachers? If they've asked their teachers, they generally say it's for the test or the exam. Now, colleagues, I just don't think that's good enough. It's not good enough. Our children deserve to know. Nice homework task. Algebra, that's interesting. Who invented it? What does the word mean? They'll find out that it comes from the Arabic via the Greek, meaning the, the matching up of broken parts, the balancing out of, of broken numbers. You know, this starts building a picture. Where does isosceles come from? The Greek for two, two, two Greek words, isosceles equal and skeleton. This starts 
making it riveting for kids. I tell you, because I've, I've done quite a lot of it. And interestingly, so I wouldn't incorporate that in lessons because we've got other stuff to do in lessons, but they can jolly well have the odd homework task doing that. But what we're finding is the, the children with the greatest um, language deficit and, um, you know, lower uh, processing memory and all that, they, they're making the greatest gains. And when colleagues talk to them about why they're enjoying doing these background stuff, they say, well, we like finding this stuff out. It makes us feel clever. Right? Children love challenge. I think it's my job as a teacher is to make my children feel clever. And that's by giving them some of this richness. So, um, yes, there's also a great website called uh, Mathematics Through Stories. Um, Dave, there might be stuff that you want to add to that. I think you say it very succinctly. There's very little I can add to that, to be honest. But um, I, it's the the balance um, as well between making sure that it's something that's going to be relevant and it's going to pique their interest um, uh, as opposed to being that distracted as well. So, so I talked with with Harry just in the chat there, pretty much saying what you were describing there, um, the the community links you described as well as if you've got a local painter, get them involved, and those sorts of stories as well as the mathematical stories and. And to start to make it sort of real and, and rich, um, but to make sure it doesn't get distracting. Craig Barton talks about a lesson where he, he teaches about biscuits, and at the end of the lesson, they remember that it was about biscuits and making sure that the actual thread of the um, the curriculum and the, the knowledge that they're gaining is, is not lost within that as well. Um, so, so it's sort of shorter and regular and just bringing it back to a narrative, I think, through there rather than having lots of really sort of isolated we're going to have a lesson on Pythagoras now it's going to be something which you talk and as you say a little homework that just ask them to go and find out a little bit more bring it in have those discussions in the, the sort of sand between the pebbles um, parts of those um, sort of knowledge parts of the lesson um, yeah I, I don't think I could put it any better than you have though Mary I think that's wonderful and I think very helpfully um, thanks Dave is that Rebecca has put in um, the Math Through Stories link which is great um, now, but also very quickly on this, you know, some, some famous mathematicians, as has been suggested. So, for instance, um, there was the film a few years ago, Hidden Figures, um, about the, the Black African um, American female mathematicians who did all the, all, the, all, the, all the heavy lifting work and strategic work of the maths behind the first mission to the moon. Right? Why don't we know about them? Why do we know about Indian mathematicians? You know, uh, not this is about broadening a curriculum for everybody, not a tick box decolonizing it. Okay, I always reframe it that way round. All children are entitled to know this stuff. It's absolutely riveting. But blow me down if I if if my heritage is Indian or African, how am I going to feel? Hmm, my people did that. Yeah. So it's important on so many measures. And I think that's. It's one of the things that we've sort of taken for granted in maths is that it is so multicultural and diverse in its roots. And I haven't been explicit enough about that in my own teaching. It's just something that every now and then I might nod to rather than really sharing it and, and showing the wealth of experience and diversity and, and, and people from across the centuries and well, considerably longer than that, that have been involved in putting together what we know today. So one of the things, our, our shared curriculum at the moment across the trust is great from a maths viewpoint, but it doesn't have in there highlights or suggestions or notes 
as if to where you can add that enrichment and depth. And I think that could really help. But also one of the other things I think we could do with when it comes to rich text is actually being able to engage with um, advanced mathematical literature is very, very challenging. But if we can help to support and scaffold that for our students, that so they're able to read mathematics, that is something that we could build into uh, with validity, I believe, into our lessons as we're helping students to develop. That, that's what I've been thinking about as well. Hmm. Yes, uh, yes, I agree. Um, so it's about spotting these opportunities and actually, we need a bit of time to spot those opportunities, but then once we've done it, that's it. We can offer them to our kids. Yeah, we don't need to muck about making half a dozen differentiated colored worksheets to make this work. We just offer it to them. Um, so it's 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 high impact for a relatively low, low effort, which is also interesting, I would argue. Mm -hmm. um, so there's an interesting, um, interesting, uh, comment from Mrs. Howard, so I don't know first name. I used to spend ages finding exactly the right, is it GIF or GIF? Anyway, whatever it is, GIF, um, or image to accompany your PowerPoints. I found that telling the story of what we're learning in maths is so much more engaging for students. It does take confidence though, which I think is something that comes with experience. What do you think I can do as a hot to help my team in terms of CPD to put learning with a narrative more effectively? We're already try, um, doing quite a bit of collaborative planning. Okay, so the first point there um, about the amount of time it takes to find the right image, and also it's in a PowerPoint, mm, pure PowerPoints in my view. Uh, but um, I mean, some of them are good, but sometimes they, the PowerPoint is not the planning or the lesson. It's just that it's an aid. Um, but so I'm glad you've stopped doing that uh, and found that telling the story. So I think that when you're working um, with your team uh, and you've got, you know, you're doing, you're in your subject and, and faculty meetings, then you rehearse some of the things that might be said, not word for word, but if we're starting a new unit um, or, or we're revisiting, say fractions or whatever, or whatever, um, <clears throat> to, to, to actually do a bit of talk about, well, where does the word fractions come from? Where are the different contexts in which uh, we need to use them? And, but why also they might be elegant on their, on their own terms. Not everything has to have utility. There is stuff that is just beautiful uh, and, and elegant uh, because of the, the logic and the, um, the insights that they can give us. So I, I think it's probably worth rehearsing some of that. That is a confidence thing, but... Um, if you're sensible like uh, Rhiannon and others, and you've not marked since 2017, you have got a bit of time to do that. Now that's how we spend our time thinking. And, and particularly when we're, I was fun when I'm teaching a new unit, I would, I would sketch out what I wanted to say, right? I wouldn't read it in front of the kids like that, but I would rehearse it, um, particularly if it was a complex um, concept that I needed to unpack rather than kind of struggling. I know this is going to be hard, like the covenant, you know, in, in, in Judaism and then pulling that out in a, in a Christian context as well. That is quite hard to unpack. I'm not going to do that on the hoof and I'm not just going to do it by, uh, you know, doing a, a, a word search for covenant. I'm going to really unpack what some analogies, some concrete things that would then unpack that 
conceptually for my class because if they don't get it that's a lot of Judaism uh, uh, fundamental theology being being missed um, so I would just say practice it doesn't need to be perfect you know our kids are very forgiving but I think there will probably be some narratives as well in some of these books I, I think uh, there'll be so um, yeah that um, right uh, so are there yeah, so Dor oh, Dorian could have just left you to answer scripture explanations and improve them. <laughs> could have saved you five minutes. Sorry, colleagues. That was excellently put from Dorian. <laughs> and it might feel a bit artificial. No? Yeah, but it, that does give us confidence, though. Yeah. I think one of the things, going back to the scripting as well, that could that could help with colleagues is we're all more used to recording ourselves, even little bits, snippets of explanations with having that blended learning, asynchronous lessons, live lessons, all of that. So if somebody was brave enough to say, okay, I'm going to do a quick recording, it'll be imperfect, it'll be as it is, but it's an opportunity then for us to say how we might develop it next time or what we think about it, or even if you're happy with it, then you could share that snippet of yourself explaining it in a lesson to help you then to support and facilitate and think about other things so it creates greater capacity within you when you're teaching and trying to run the room rather than worrying about that explanation. Yeah I, I agree with that and I, I would just really emphasize that this we we mustn't aim for perfection because otherwise you know we're, get, we're going to be doing seven eight nine ten takes so but we haven't got time for that so when we're ready to record unless a swear word slips out when we do another take or um or it really is off beam but otherwise just do it because i tell you why if it is too if it's too polished it means it's harder for other people to replicate that so as long as the ideas are there and then we fine tune them. We don't worry too much. As long as people can hear us, <laughs> that's all that really matters. And of course, it's nice if there's a voice, if there's a face to it as well, uncomfortable as it is to see your own fizzog on, on film. You know, we've all kind of got used to it. Um, but that that's a really good suggestion, Rhiannon, because um, when that happens, you, you've then got a product which can be distributed across the department, encourage other people to do theirs, critique what you've done, but also you could share it with other departments, couldn't you? I'll trade you this if you if you if you're prepared to do that. Think of the capacity that could grow from that. So I I kept accidentally pressing mute and unmute simultaneously. That wasn't very effective at all. No, some cracking stuff going on there. Oh how diverse our conversation has been. Now I am more than happy to go down all sorts of avenues. We've got four minutes left. Um, it, does anybody else have anything that they'd like to bring into the room, though, while, while we've got Mary? Oh, yeah. Use Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> There's a thing. And, of course, the, the hashtags that go with the different subject communities. I mean, they're a wealth of information. Thanks for the reminder, Ruth. <laughs> I use Twitter so much, Ruth. I've, I've got so many connections now from Twitter that we'll even share resources with one another. It's, it's amazing. 
absolutely amazing. So just across maps, people in different countries, it doesn't matter, especially when we can do everything so digitally now too. So no, great. And thank you for joining us, uh, Ruth, because you're one of our new members, aren't you? So no, it's, it's great because I know you've had a busy afternoon today and it's just so fantastic to see so many regulars and so many um, for, uh, new faces with us as well this afternoon. So Dave, go on. I'm going to bring you into the room. Um, I just sort of get into that point now um, as we approach the end where I've been thinking um, about that idea of perfection and, and how you I'm always striving for that perfection. There's always something more you can do. And, uh, and how and so why a lot of the things that have been discussed today maybe aren't happening to the level that I'm satisfied with my classroom. And, and a lot of it comes down, I think, to for me to, to my subject knowledge as well. So it's about, um, I think, Mary, you said earlier, or maybe just before we start recording, the more that you know, the more that you, you realise you don't know. And, and, uh, and I sort of almost lose confidence in a way of going to, right, I'm going to delve deeper into that story in case there's something I don't know about it. And I guess it's about having that um, sort of... Um, that, that high challenge to myself about saying, yes, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm producing that, I'm giving that to my students and not feeling that risk in case it doesn't quite work out perfectly. When I was talking about the stories, for example, and, and my take on what a story might look like and the biscuit idea, completely different to uh, you know the, the history and the origins of the word algebra. Um, and, but it's about um, sort of being able to, to have that conversation and to learn and grow through that. And, and the subject knowledge is really key for me in terms of, of gaining that, um, that confidence, but being able to articulate and to respond to the students as well. So I think for me, um, knowledge is, is a real power in, in that. Great, and I would just um, reassure people, that's, a, that is, that's great what you've just said, um, Dave, but I think too, to, particularly when we're doing this wider story stuff in any subject, we've been talking mostly about maths, is to be prepared to be surprised. I don't need to know everything about algebra. <laughs> I know the headlines. And even if I were a math specialist, I wouldn't, but I do need to know the headlines. I'm going to be able to convey that to my children. But if I set them off on a task, some kids are going to come back with stuff I didn't know. Now, how affirming is that? Well, blow me down. I had no idea about that. Thank you so much for finding it out. So releasing ourselves from having to be the fount and font of all knowledge, particularly when we're doing this more exploratory stuff, I think is both um, liberating for us, but can be incredibly affirming for the youngsters we're working with. But so uh, what I'm always trying to do is, is, is say, let's do great work, but don't let's beat ourselves up. <laughs> Thank you. That's been one thing that I've definitely taken away from today is whilst I am aspiring and stretching to do better things, I'm actually putting less pressure on myself to do so and giving me room to breathe so I can do it well rather than quickly. So Ruth, I will bring you in now and then I will be handing over to um, Tom shortly to do our session. <laughs> I was just going to say, you, the last thing I was going to say is that you can lie to children. You can, you can tell the story. If you get it wrong, it really doesn't matter. To <laughs> you've got the essence of it because they don't know any different. I think I think overall it's better to try and make sure it's accurate. It but is, is, but <laughs> but if we found we've made a mistake, we can. It's going back to your perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect, though. They no, 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 absolutely not. No, yeah, no, absolutely not. Oh, I, I, I can, I could write a book, or probably I will one day, about all the mistakes I've made and nobody died. But actually, we get a lot of credibility. We get it sort of. I didn't quite pitch that right, and now this is the additional piece of information that. <laughs> They love you for it. You've got to get enough right to be able to pull that off. But uh, we mustn't, we mustn't, 
you know, it's a human endeavor in it. <laughs> yeah, I have um, every now and then my uh, brother-in-law, he works in policing, says, look, I know you get stressed about your job, but at the end of the day, nobody's going to die based on their maths lesson. So it's really okay. Give yourself a break. And he said that to me and I thought, actually, yeah, I just need to enjoy it more, I think. So I do like that you keep going back to that again, Mary, and putting it in perspective for us this afternoon, just to remind ourselves that we do have room to breathe and, and to do this really well. So um, Tom, are you ready for the session takeaway? I am so looking forward to this this afternoon. It's gonna be really exciting. Just wait for you to unmute and turn your camera on preferably. Camera's not compulsory. Oh, my camera's out. There we go. Whee! Hello, Welcome, everybody. Hello. Tom. So I've been here sort of sat here with my camera off because everything kept popping in and I had to tell them to go away. Um, it's just been lovely sort of listening to this today and sort of really thinking about that message of we're never finished with our curriculum. We're never going to be finished with our curriculum. And it's always going to be about adding to it and really supplementing our curriculum with the where it's come from, the history of it. And I find that so rich in my lessons to be able to talk about um, the history of why we use the letter X quite a lot in maths. Why is it not the letter T, for example, all the time in our unknowns? Um, and it's just been so nice to sort of listen to the conversations today and sort of see what's been going on and all the questions about how we can have that structure around what we're putting into our lessons. But our lessons are free to go in whatever direction that they need to go in to best support the students to help really secure the learning and working in an all through school, which is quite new. Um, it's lovely to sort of have the conversations all the way down from early years and see that the curriculum can grow all the way up to key stage five when we when we get there, but have that plan in place. So it's been a real honour to, to be listening to this today and my colleague's been here with me um, and we've been frantically making notes and talking about things that we want to do, um, which has just been just been fantastic. Um, we're we're going to look into bringing in sort of more curriculum team planning in our school next year moving forward, following because I think we can really always learn from each other as we sort of done so today. So. Um, so yeah, so just thank you very much for today, everybody, and it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Tom. That's fantastic. And it's particularly exciting to hear from Tom because he used to work in our trust, Mary, and he was um, joint maths, he was maths director for the Southeast Central Schools. So he was working with me last year. So it's it's really nice to, to have him back. And he came especially for this session because of the work they're doing. Um, so it's, it's just been fantastic to hear from you today. It's been a pleasure chatting to you all. Really, really enjoyed it. My favourite thing to do. And by the way, when I'm talking about, you know, everyone relax into it, that's also a message to myself. Because I, you know, I think there's all this to do. Yeah. One day at a time, Mary. One book at a time. You know, it, it's a message for all of us. So <laughs> let's remember, colleagues, we're human beings first. We're professionals second. The young people we work with, they're human beings first, they're learners second, and then, then, we'll get the, then we'll get it broadly right. Thank you, though, for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you ever so much for coming.